Like, are you a good person? Do you consider yourself a, a decent sort of man or, or woman or, or child? And if you were to go to, like, Walmart or Target and, and ask everybody that you saw there, random crowd of people, how do you think they would answer that question? Are you good? After they looked at you like you were a crazy person, I think most people would probably say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person, right? I, I take care of the people around me as, as best I can. I, I try to be kind to others. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Here's another question, though. Um, are you good enough to enter heaven when you die? You know, I thought this was a little bit of a surprising statistic, given how recent this uh, poll was, that 73% of Americans actually still believe in the concept of heaven, right? That, that someday when they die, they can go to a place of eternal bliss and, and happiness. And since only 2% would actually say that they are going to hell, what does that tell you? Where do people think they're going when they die? Most people think they're going to heaven. Now, why do they think that about themselves? A couple more statistics for you here. 48% of U.S. adults believe that a person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. So that's roughly half of all American adults think that this is the way, or a way at least, to eternal life. And considering that over a quarter of them don't even believe in heaven at all, that's a, a pretty high majority, right? Who think that if heaven is real, the way you get there is through good deeds. Now, let's lower or uh, narrow the, the, the sample audience here, okay? What if you narrow that to Christians only, people who profess faith in Jesus as their savior? That number actually goes up. 52% of people, of Christians, believe that good works are what will ultimately earn for them that golden ticket to paradise in the sky. So here's the question. Is that viable? Is there a way to eternal life through the good stuff, the kind things that you do? In our gospel lesson today, Jesus encountered a young man who believed as half of American adults believe that through his good works, he could earn a place at God's side in glory. More importantly, though, is how Jesus responds to this man. And so we start things off here in Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when you see that word ruler there, don't think king or governor or even mayor or something like that. The Greek word here denotes somebody who was a synagogue ruler. Okay, so synagogue like church at Jesus' time. So perhaps this person was a, like a, a Jewish pastor. Could have also been like an official or a, an administrator of the synagogue. Whatever the case there, though, this was somebody, and you can tell even by his question, this was somebody 
who considered himself a religious man. He was interested in religious matters, wasn't he? And so I think that at least in some way, you and I can, can identify with this individual because you would probably also, if you're sitting here in church on a beautiful Sunday morning like this, you probably also consider yourself a religious person, meaning that you care about your relationship with God, you care about connecting with Him, you care about obeying Him. But what about that question? Right? And, and the one that I asked earlier, is there a path to eternal life through good works, through the law, through, through following the rules. The answer that might shock you, actually, is technically, yes. In fact, a few chapters earlier, when Jesus is um, speaking with another teacher of the people, this individual asks him, What's the, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment that I need to keep? Jesus turns the question around on him and says, well, what do you think? And this is how he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And there seems to be some sense in the hearts of religious people like that synagogue ruler, like you and me, that if we praise God as he deserves to be praised, if we glorify him in the way that he says he ought to be glorified, that you will have eternal life. And so that individual comes to Jesus with that question. Because he wants to know, what's your special trick, Jesus? What is your secret sauce that I can apply to my life? Because it's obvious that you are so much better than everybody else around you. What can I do so that I can be assured of eternal life when I die? Really, though, this man, as, just as people like you and me so often do, this man had missed the entire point of God giving his law to people. And Jesus brings him, he starts to lead him to this revelation right away with his answer as he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now we're going to come back to that statement of Jesus, no one is good in just a little bit. For right now, let's go on. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Jesus leads him down that list of commands, and this guy says, check, honored my parents, check, ain't killed nobody, check, haven't been sleeping around, check, check, check. What's Jesus doing here? He's setting this guy up in order to deliver to him the blow that his self-righteous nature so badly needs. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy.
Now, what is the deal with Jesus giving him this command? Jesus never, ever tells anybody else to do this in all of the gospel history about him. In fact, Jesus often enjoyed the hospitality of his wealthier friends, staying under their roofs, eating meals with them. When Jesus encountered Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus says, Lord, I will pay back four times anything that I have cheated anybody out of. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 no. You actually need to give it all up, Zacchaeus. He doesn't do that. So why in this particular instance with this particular individual? That young synagogue ruler, you see, he, he thought that he was a pretty good commandment keeper. He thought that he was a good person. And so Jesus here does what? Jesus here shows him that he never actually even made it past commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. He loved his money and he loved his stuff more than he loved God. Which made him an idolater. One who was guilty of idolatry. How about you? Are you an idolater? say, well, I'm sitting in church, I'm worshiping the one true God. No, I'm not an idolater. But if we're honest with ourselves and, and we really start to dig down, we'll find that all of us struggle with this. And if you don't think that's you, or if you're not exactly sure what your idols are, maybe there are a couple of questions that, that we could ask in order to help you uncover and identify some of those idols. Questions like this, is there anything in your life that you would be unwilling to give up for God? Right? What if God came to you like he came to that young man and said, you need to sell it all, give it to the poor, for me? Would you be willing to do that? What if he said, I want you to give up your Packers season tickets for the rest of your life. In fact, I don't even want you to watch any more Packers games for the rest of your life. Would you be willing to do that for him? What about your job? Your work, the, the business that you have been working so hard to build? Or your family or, or your friends? Is there anything that you would be unwilling to give up for God? And that maybe leads into this next question. Is there already anything in your life that you are unwilling to part from for him? Anything that you are holding on to that God says he hates? Right? If God has made it clear that he does not like something and he does not want it to be a part of your life, if you are holding on to that, if you are continuing to engage in that, what does that show? It shows that you care about having this more than glorifying God. And on the flip side, are you already refusing to do something that God says he loves, right? And, and maybe even adding the question, why? Because as you add that question, why, it'll probably reveal an idol in your heart. Are you allowing anything to stand in the way of a stronger relationship with God, right? That, that relationship of faith 
through the, the daily use of, of his word, through the, the frequent use of his sacrament in, in the Lord's Supper, and in coming to him, returning to him with your, your, your own prayers and your thanksgiving, is there anything that you are letting stand in the way of that? If we're being honest and, and we truly are plumbing the depths of our hearts, we have to admit, just like that young synagogue ruler, that there are all kinds of idolatries in our lives. Things that we devote ourselves to and give our hearts to over and above God. The theologian John Calvin once said this, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Just as a Ford plant will churn out explorers and mustangs off of its assembly line, just as a Hershey's factory will pump out chocolate after chocolate after chocolate off its conveyor belts, the human heart produces idol upon idol upon idol upon idol. So we need to go back to what Jesus said. Are you good? No one is good. Except God alone. He needed to impress a point upon that synagogue ruler. And that point is our, our first key point today. Idolaters are not good. Therefore, we are not good. And yet we will often fool ourselves into thinking that all of the other religious observances we might incorporate into our lives might possibly make up or pay for the very many times when we simply have not loved and glorified God the way that he requires. In fact, sometimes we might even do as this young ruler did, seeking some extra rules to add on top of the things that God has already given us to show how religious and dedicated to him we are, and yet none of them can undo the idolatries that have already existed and do exist in our lives. Idolatry is not good, therefore we are not good. But Jesus knows there is something else here that isn't good. He also knows that the idols themselves are not good for you. They're not good in the way that God is good. Even these good blessings that he has put into our lives that he intends for us to enjoy during our days under this sun, when we elevate them to an inappropriate place in our hearts, Jesus needs us to know that they cannot give us the eternal happiness that can only come from the hands of God. So that brings us to our second key point. Idols are not good. Therefore, Jesus wants them out of the way. When Mark is recording this story in his gospel, he adds a little detail here to show Jesus' own heart in this matter. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus wants to help him, but first he needs to expose and tear down the idol in this man's life, just as he must do in ours. And so that's where we jump back in here at Luke 18, verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
And this would have absolutely floored the audience gathered around him. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying this is impossible then. If the rich people can't do it, whom they would have believed more blessed by God because they were more dedicated to God, if the rich people couldn't enter heaven, then nobody can enter heaven. Thus the question, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible for you and me, because we have already disqualified ourselves through our idolatry. Jesus says, it is possible with God. We cannot depend upon ourselves, but God has a plan to save idolaters like you and me. And that's what Jesus was pointing to. In verse 22, when he told that man, follow me. Give up your idol. Leave it behind. And come with me to Jerusalem. And there see the impossible thing that I am going to do for you. Because there in Jerusalem, the infinite God of the universe confined in the flesh of a human being, would stretch out his arms and be nailed to a cross of wood. There, God, who, who is spirit, would, as a man, bleed out divine blood and die. Why? To save the idolaters. To save people just like you and me who run after every created thing over our creator. That's where we put our faith. It cannot depend upon us. Eternal life and salvation can only and entirely depend upon Jesus. That's what brings us to our final key point today. Good people don't inherit eternal life. Those with faith in Jesus do. To those who have faith, Jesus does say, much is coming, but not as some kind of reward for your obedience, not as, as like your earnings for all of the good stuff that you've done. All those good things are coming simply because we belong to Jesus and he is good to his own. That's what brings us to those final verses. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. We think that our idols are, are good. We think that they are giving us what our hearts truly need, but they are liars. And Satan will try to use their temporary pleasures to lead us hellward. But in Christ, through faith, though we may lose a thousand idols and all of the supposed blessings they promise us, we have so much more 
so much more from the hands of God who truly gives us what is good. Already in this age, we have peace in our hearts. We have the forgiveness of every sin and, and of all our guilt. And even now we have new life, new life too. praise and glorify God. And then also in the age to come, the resurrection of our bodies unto eternal life as we experience and know true and eternal joys from the hands of our God. Are you good? Not on your own, no. But Jesus is. And through faith in him, we truly do have everything that we need to inherit eternal life. Amen. Thank you.